Welcome to the Hollywood Raw Podcast. I'm Dax Holt, joined by Mr. Adam Glenn out in New York City. How are you, dude? I'm good, buddy. No coronavirus, so I'm good. That, that is the thing. The Costco down the street from my house is like insane right now. There are people everywhere stocking up. There's literally no toilet paper within like a 50 mile radius of my house. Yeah, well, let me ask you this, though. As a guy who's worked in journalism, who's worked in the media, do you think because this is an election year that the news outlets are making a bigger deal out of this for good TV? Yeah, I think it's a great sensational topic. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, the flu got, what, what was it, like 117 million people got the flu this year and 8,000 people died. And that's in the U.S. alone. We didn't have this. Costco didn't sell out of toilet paper because the flu was going around. And clearly, the flu has been a lot more deadly. So I think it's just a, I think it's a topic that people are interested in, in chatting about. And uh, it's getting people going. Well, what, really you, what, what are your thoughts to. on all these like music, ultra music festival just got canceled? Arnold, his, uh, his bodybuilding competition just got canceled. What are your thoughts on all these huge events being canceled? However... There's still NBA games on. There's still NHL games on. Like, no, the, all those events are still on. So why do you, what are your thoughts on all this? Nah, I mean, I think you got to live your life. You got to, you got to go forward, wash your hands, be careful, but like, just wash your hands. And it's really, it's affecting people that are already susceptible to illness, you know, older people, people that have, you know, pre-existing conditions going on. So I think if you're... If you're just cautious, you'll be fine. I, I wouldn't stop your life. I did see some like soccer games going on in Europe where like the the stadium is completely empty and it's just the team on the field. I'm like, I get you know, I, I guess they're doing what they feel is right for their country or for their citizens. But I, I think that you, you got to keep going. It's funny because we both understand journalism and news and TV and it's good for ratings. It's good for TV. People are scared. I mean, that's what we want in news outlets. People want that, you know, for them, it's to put fear in our head. Then all of a sudden it's, again, it's an election year. It affects the election, affects everything. It's just such, once I heard about all the stuff in the past week that it's actually kind of gained momentum, I was like, election year, TV, news outlets are making a bigger deal. I talked to Dr. Oz about it and Dr. Oz was like, listen, you wash your hands. Good. That's all you got to do. Take care of yourself. More people have died from the flu than from this. Take, you know, and, uh, it's just insane. It's literally insane that it's it, that things are getting canceled. People are like are not going or flights are going crazy. Actually, I bought four tickets to a concert recently. Couldn't get two other people to go to the concert. I was able to get their full refund because of this. So I'm actually happy. But Dax, I'm really well, let's, excited. Let's bring our guest in and see what he thinks. About yeah. <laughs> Because that's why he's here, to talk about viruses and uh, pandemics going around the world. But, ladies and gentlemen, we got Dean McDermott in the house. Welcome, Dean. What's up, Dean? I've got my own pandemic going on in my house here. I have five kids. It's it's the McDermott virus, and they're all sick. (laughs) That is... So, Adam, you don't know what this is like when you're a parent and your kids bring home something. It goes through the kids and then it hits you. And the problem is kids can take the day off. Parents cannot take the day off. And kids get over it a lot quicker. Like they'll be sick for a couple of days. You'll be sick for a week. Yep. Absolutely. It's it's the worst. And that not only that, they go to school and it's just like a cesspool out in I the just, schools. I just came from my three-year-old school. That's why I had to push our, our interview back because we're celebrating his birthday. It was his birthday on Monday. So we're celebrating with cupcakes. And every kid there had the big green snot walrus. Ah. And I'm like, keep your kid at home. Keep your kid at home. Like, it's disgusting. It is. Like, if you have green boogers hanging out of your nose, do not send the kid <laughs> no, to school. Like, do the rest of the parents a favor and don't send your damn kid to school. They're there, man. And they're hacking and coughing. And and <laughs> I was playing with Bo. We were putting magnets on this board. And it, this kid came over just covered in the coronavirus and wanted to play. And I'm just like, trying to, <laughs> just, <laughs> you know, trying to interest them in something across the room. It's like, get away. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of the coronavirus, I don't know. Do you watch GMA in the morning by chance? No, no. I okay, so the only reason I ask is because this morning I turned on GMA, and they have set up an entire room at their studio, which is like the coronavirus headquarters. And they've got graphics on the wall, red and black graphics that says <laughs> coronavirus. They've got TVs everywhere. They've got like a doctor who walks around. I'm like, 
they've literally turned this into a marketing ploy of like we are going to make sure that everyone knows that we are on full alert and this is a huge thing on the pulse of the coronavirus yeah it is it's crazy i that stat that you you gave was crazy and how many people got the flu last year and how many people died and that wasn't televised or sensationalized at all, which is crazy. You are just used to it. We're, we're used to every year there being a flu. And every year everyone gets their flu shots. I think that 178 million people, and my numbers may be off a little bit, but they're pretty close. 178 million people got the flu shot, but then like 118 million actually ended up getting the flu. And then, yeah, 8,000 died. So like the numbers there, and that's in the U.S. That's not worldwide. So I got to imagine worldwide it's crazy. Well, what is what is the number, the total number of deaths from coronavirus so far in the U.S.? We are uh, in the U.S. It's I think eleven at the moment. Okay. Yeah. So it's uh, and I mean, and, and a lot of it you got to remember those numbers went up when uh in Washington State when it hit that nursing home. There was like quite a few at that nursing home alone that kind of doubled the numbers. I want to know why all the toilet paper is being sold out, though. Like, does a coronavirus <laughs> give you the green apple shuffle? I, no. <laughs> I thought I thought the same thing. So my wife actually went to Costco and everyone was buying. She's like, well, crap. Now I have to buy it because there's not going to be any toilet paper left for a while. So she's like, so she went and got rolls. And we're just sitting here like, what is the, why, why toilet paper? Why is it toilet paper and water? Why, why not anything else? And pasta. And pasta. The pasta aisle was wiped out. Yeah, so, but here's the thing. You're going to need water for your pasta. So are you going to dump out 15 of your, like, pre-bottled waters <laughs> to bake pasta? Maybe. No, you got to save that. But you like pasta. <laughs> Dean, I want to ask you. So you were just at your kid's school. You're a Canadian. How do the, the school systems, how are they different in the school systems from Canada to, like, the California, L.A.-type vibe school system? You know, are the kids just all eating organic stuff, or is it just... What's the vibe like? How is the difference between California and Canada school district? It, de- it depends on the school here in California because um, we have uh, two of our kids going to this very progressive school, which is all vegan. Um, you know, they trying to get off the grid um, and, and leave as little carbon footprint as possible. And then there's, you know, the other schools. Um, they they're very similar. There's no difference, really. Um, in Canada and in California schools or American schools for that matter. Um, the biggest thing that I find though is sort of fashion. A lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of little kids are wearing stuff that I'm just shocked at. Um, yeah. you know, designer stuff. And there's like, uh, it's, it's started around, I think, uh, grade four that the kids were really starting to get into fashion and get into little clicks of who had the cool stuff, who had the knockoff stuff, who had the designer stuff, um, all the way up to my oldest, my 12 year old, he's getting asked if his, um, shoes are knockoffs or not. <laughs> like kids even know what knockoffs are. That yeah. Age. Yeah. At 12, I was like, who, that's the first thing that, that we thought was like, what, who would even think to ask if those are knockoffs, but it's LA, right? So they know if they're knockoff Yeezys or not. Have, have you had that talk with like Tori of like what it must have been like when she was growing up in like the school that she went to? Because I got to imagine that it was very similar, like all fashion and like people spending ridiculous money at such a young age. Um, no, I haven't really talked to her about that so much as so much as the fact that she was embarrassed to get dropped off by a driver at school. So she'd have them, you know, drop her off two blocks before school because just she wanted to fit in like a normal kid, right? Not yeah. up in a in a limo. So, but uh, I'm I'm sure there was fashion stuff going on then too. I mean, That's so funny. Yeah, I, I remember being in high school and like the one of our sister schools was like crazy. So many wealthy kids there, and people were rolling up at 16 in like Ferraris, and I'm like. Who gives your kid a Ferrari at 16? That's crazy. And if I could afford to give my kid a Ferrari at 16, I wouldn't. Exactly, right? I just think that's that instills the wrong values. Like if if you know, if I set a price of like, okay, here's what we'll spend on your first car, and if you want a Ferrari, then you can work and make the rest. But I'll give you <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you two thousand you make me up two hundred and fifty. And then you, you get a job and you can make up the rest for the Ferrari. I think it, it's crazy. But I see that. I see that in, in LA all the time. 
Yeah. Is that your fear, though, of like, you know, having kids and uh, especially being in your area in an L.A. vibe to that they become one of those people that they see that and they think that's the norm and that becomes their norm is seeing a lot of people in the business showing off their money, showing off their uh, what they have. Is that ever a fear for you with your family? No, no, because we keep our kids really grounded. Because we we've seen those kids and 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 our kids have seen those kids, and more often than not, they're they're little dickheads. So you know, my kids are like, I don't want to be like that. So they recognize it, and uh, you know, we we've taught them and, and brought it to their attention. Is like you don't want to be that person. You want to be gracious. You want to have gratitude. You know, um, the one thing that I love is when people meet our kids or we're out at a restaurant. And they're like, your kids are so well behaved. Like mine would be ripping the joint apart or, you know, demanding this or wanting to leave or, you know, and they, it's really nice as a parent to hear that. I have really good kids because I refuse to raise little dickheads. Can I say that on your podcast? Yeah, no, you go, go nuts. nuts. Say it. You can call them fuckheads if you want. Yeah. Do whatever you want. fuckheads. <laughs> I refuse. Are you the type of parent that has the iPhone out for the kids or like an iPad for them to play with during dinner at a restaurant? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. That was a life. That was a game changer uh, because I also have a 21 year old. So, you know, when he was two and three and four going to a restaurant, we didn't have that. So you actually had to entertain them while you're trying to, you know, eat your dinner and, and, you know, talk to grownups, which, which is a treat when you have kids <laughs> is to actually interact with adults. So, um, you know, before it was, you know, Lego and stuff like that and cars, which had a, a shelf life. Um, but the iPad and the iPhone were a game changer for, for dinner. Um, and the one thing that I do stress is, you know, we use it when we're out only to entertain the little guy. But when we're at home, there's no electronics at the table at all. It's just when we use it conveniently for us to have a nice night out and a dinner and, and interact with the older kids and, you know, some adults that we may have with us. Well, you're – I'm in- I was gonna say I'm impressed that you're going out to dinner because I have two and we are just like, oh, going out to dinner sounds like so much work for us, and you've got three more than us. <laughs> She's a piece of cake. You should be eating out every night. I know, right? <laughs> well, let me, Dean, when you go into a restaurant, right? Because you are a celebrity, you and Tori, you guys are both public figures. Do you? How do you feel when you walk in and everyone recognizes you guys? Like they, everyone knows who you are. Do you feel? weird do you feel uncomfortable do you feel because you get attention from that how do you feel when you walk into a restaurant that's a good question i guess i've gotten used to it i guess in the beginning um you know in the beginning was really awkward for me because you know i got instant notoriety when tori and i got together you know i was just this actor from canada that nobody knew and all of a sudden you know i'm tori spelling's new boyfriend and then husband um so a lot of i got a lot of eyes on me really quickly um, which was really weird, really weird. Um, it made me feel uncomfortable and uneasy. Um, and then of course, you know, Googling your name and then reading what people have to say about you. Not a good idea in the beginning. Was, people are horrible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just absolutely horrible. I thought, Whoa, God, people hate me. It was really, really bad. But now it's, it's totally used to it. You know, you just, uh, you get you, you get used to it, and the the great thing about it is, without fans, without people recognize you, recognize you, you wouldn't be a celebrity. So, you know, you kind of get used to that, and you take it with a grain of salt. That is sort of it comes with the territory, and you know, without them, I wouldn't be who I am or who we are. Do you feel like I've the pressure about? I was, I was going to say, I've always wondered about that whole Googling thing and like seeing your name. Do you feel that you've got like a fair shake over the years through like media? Because I feel that. People find like they just they want to talk shit. Like that's what I've realized over the years. People just want to talk shit, and people want to read people talking about shit. Like they don't want to read, "Oh, this person's a great guy." They always want to hear like what people are doing wrong. Yeah, they want to hear the worst in, in, about people. Um, I don't get it. You know, um, I for a while now I've started whenever somebody has something nasty to say on social media, for instance, um, I'll write back to them and say, "Listen, this is a complete waste of your time." Why don't you go and find somebody you like and write them a note saying how much you're a fan of them or how much you appreciate them instead of, you know, taking time out of your day, going.
going to my site, writing a comment about, you know, you think I'm a piece of shit. Like, why? It's just wasted energy and time. Go find somebody you like and say something nice about them. To me, that makes sense. Because, yeah, like, what, what I, the way I look at it is, like, people were, could talk crap, but they don't know you. They have no idea. They just saw you came down from Canada, started dating Tori Spelling. Yeah. I got to imagine you're going, I don't know these people. They know nothing about me. Why? What would they have against me? Yeah, it's funny. Um, the, <laughs> the very first one I read was I was there was a, a restaurant on Beverly, a, a, a Thai place that we used to go to all the time. And I read that this particular lady was at the same restaurant when Tori Spelling and Dean McDermott walked in. And Dean had the worst nose job I've ever seen in my life. I almost throw, threw up my tofu lettuce cups. I was like, okay, well, that sounds like someone who eats tofu lettuce. <laughs> but I was like, I've never had a nose job. And I was like, you don't know anything about me. So it, it, it goes to your point. It's like, you, yeah, I don't, I've never had a nose job. Um, and if you actually took the time or if you saw me in the street and we talked, you'd probably think that I'm a nice guy because I am. It's just, it's ridiculous to me. It's ridiculous to me to take that time out of your day to write something. I just don't get it. I really don't get it. And, you know, I hate these sort of these Internet cowboys who hide behind private accounts on social media that talk shit about you. And, you know, you go to see their profile and they're private or they have like one follower. It's ridiculous. Well, how do you handle the pressure, especially being in Hollywood when you go into, a, again, a restaurant and all of a sudden they're like, oh, there's Tori Spelling, there's Dee McDermott. They have a lot of money because they think you're in show business and they want you to tip. You know, they, they, you know, do you get nervous when it comes to gratuity at a restaurant because you think, oh, the waiter thinks they're going to get a hundred dollar tip. And you're like, dude, I, I, I only spent 10 bucks. Like what the hell? I, I'm a, I'm a big tipper anyway, because I've been in the restaurant business. I've been a waiter for years, a bartender for years. So I always tip well, but it is funny. There is that expectation it was like oh yeah i got you know, i got spellings table where i'm gonna get a good tip so and and tori's the same she tends to leave more than than you should because you know she doesn't want to get the raps like oh tori spellings a lousy tipper <laughs> you know isn't so, that sad? like you're pressured into a little pressure. tipping there's a little pressure I, it's, it's funny because even, even if the service is bad, I feel like there's still that pressure of like, oh, they, they still have to tip even if the service is bad. You're like, no, you sucked. You don't deserve like a big yeah, tip. But now I have to because. Absolutely. Because and you never know that, you know, somebody might post it on in Instagram or something and then media picks it up and can blow it up. Right. It, it yep. gives it gives headlines to, to people as well that, you know, Tori and Dean are horrible tippers according to Instagram. So. You do have to be careful. It's so ridiculous. It is. It's so it's it's crazy. Adam, did you freeze over there? What's going on? I think he's frozen, or he's got a perma smile on his face. Okay, that's, well, it. that's, that's his new headshot. <laughs> <laughs> Look at those dimples. Seriously, he's got some crazy dimples. Uh, I don't know what happened to How him. How your on. little ones? Uh, I've got a two-year-old, I'm sorry, a two-year-old, a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. <laughs> I've got a two-year-old, but we don't talk about her. We don't talk about that two-year-old. We don't talk about that one on the podcast. Hold on, let me try to, oh, there we go. He disconnected. Let me re-add him. Hold on. Are you still doing TMZ? Uh, no. no. Nope. I left maybe three years ago. Has it been that long? It's been, yeah, it's been about three years. Um, I, I, I just needed a change. I need a change. I need to do something different. I actually am uh, co-producing a show with Brian Austin Green. Oh. So we're, we're working on a show together. Um, he's a great guy. He's, he's awesome, dude. He's yeah. such a wonderful human being, and he's, like, so kind, so down to earth. I love him. Did um, you, uh, you kind of get tired of just kind of talking shit? Yeah, well, I was kind of, I was always like the nice guy in the room, to be honest with you. I was always like the nice one that kind of would balance things out. But yeah, it gets, it gets exhausting being in a room full of people that are just mm, grumpy all the time. That's the nicest way to put yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I could just imagine because I, I, you know, I come across it once in a while and I, and then I do, I was like, what would it be like to be in that? That and it and it wasn't like that at the beginning. It was like you know people were fun. They were they had a good time, and then it just kind of hit this like dark phase right. where 
like the meaner you could be to celebrities, then that would almost be your ticket to being on air. On air. And yeah. so, and I, and I was just like, I'm not digging this. Like, this is not what I signed up for. I don't want to be out at a party in Hollywood and people look at me like, Oh, what is this asshole going to say about me? Right. Right. You know? And that's what I started to feel like. And I was like, I, I need to, I need to change that up. So then I left, I did a bunch with access Hollywood for a couple of years and, uh, and it's just kind of, switched up my person you know my people's i guess vision of me or you know whatever they thought about me and i just didn't want that on my record forever i guess it is difficult to walk around and people kind of be like oh they're the bad guy yeah. you know it's it's hard to have that and because you don't you don't you never wanted to be that person you never wanted to be an asshole you know you wanted to be in the business because you love the business but it's hard to be treated as an asshole. Because I was always one of the, you know, I always said I want to be the person to hang with these people. Now I'm getting shunned by these people. You know, and listen, if you're an asshole to me, I'll be an asshole right back to you. But I hated taking the blame for something else when I was trying to be the good guy to them. Because for me personally, I dealt with the celebrity one-on-one. Like my relationship was more with the celebrity than the outlet. And then all of a sudden I have to take the blame for the team I'm playing for, even though I was good to their face. And then it looks like I was the one who was an asshole to him, but I was really the one trying to be the good guy for them. Yeah. Cause Adam was doing all the camera work in New York. He was the one like the man on the street getting all the videos for TMZ in New York. And, uh, so that he left, I left and we're like, let's start up something else. Let's talk to celebs rather than about him. Well, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. Cause TMZ never had anything nice to say about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and that's it's it's interesting that you say that because working at TMZ for so long, and obviously your name came up a bunch. So I was I was curious to see like what you thought of the coverage of TMZ over the years. Um, I hated it. I mean, I yeah. you know I I really questioned how those people could do that job. You know, yeah. um, because they'd never had anything nice to say about me. Um, and it's funny though, they still ask me to come on for interviews and stuff when I have something going on and I'm like, no, <laughs> like why waste my time? No, yeah, oh, so too the bait and switch, right? Like, you know, Hey, you're, you know, you're doing stand up, uh, come on in, let's talk about your stand up, but then they're going to, you know, hammer me with these other questions, you know, they're going to, they're going to do the off topic questions yeah. that you didn't want to talk about yeah. for yeah. sure. All right. Well, let's get back on the topic the paparazzi? <laughs> How do you, you know, over the years you guys have been. You know, you're, first of all, you live in a, an area. Well, you're in LA, so there's there's camera guys. You'll always run into them if you go to town, and obviously the the, the hot spots. But over the years, how have you and Tori dealt with the paparazzi? What was your strategy with, to deal with them? Um, in the beginning, it was crazy. Um, you know, because we were a new couple, newly married, and um, you know, we we had guys sitting out in front of our house. 14, 16 hours a day sitting right out in front of our house, four or five cars. And we couldn't move without them following us. Um, and then, you know, we moved to a gated community and they waited outside of the gate <laughs> of the community. You know, there'd be like 10 cars sitting there and then we'd pull out and then we'd have a tail for the whole day. Um, it drives you crazy. It really does. Um, just trying to go to the grocery store with the kids or, take them to like a, a, a jungle gym or something like that or going to eat. They're just there in your face. And it's a real invasion of privacy, especially when they follow you for the whole day. It's like, okay, I get it. You want to get, get some pictures and make some money. I get it. But to follow me the whole day, I don't get. Um, and the thing that would drive me crazy is we'd have these – photographers that would follow us, they'd get their shots and they go, okay guys, enjoy your day. You know, we'll leave you alone now. And then we go to the next location and they're there. They followed us, the same ones. They keep saying, hey, thanks for the photos. Have a great day. Goodbye. But then they keep following us. So they'll do that for like eight hours of the day. And it's just, it's like, what could, what shot could you possibly get that you haven't already got in the first yeah. four minutes, five minutes of a picture taking our pictures like i don't know what you're looking for i mean i i do know what they're looking for they're looking for like a nip slip or like a weird face or you know i love those shots of celebrities eating <laughs> it's just they're just they're looking for you in your worst possible scenario so following you around you know, itching your ass you know they want to get that shot or an upskirt i got into a, a fight with a paparazzi who was trying to 
get an upskirt shot of touring New York. And uh, New York paparazzi are more aggressive than L.A. paparazzi for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, we ended up getting in each other's face in the doorman at the hotel, <laughs> broke it up. But uh, it's, 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 it's so crazy. So is, was this like right when you and Tori first got together or was this when your guys' reality show was cracking? Like what, this was what the, point in your life? That was when the reality show was happening, that particular incident. I think we were in New York doing the, you know, the press circuit, you know, the Good Morning America and stuff like that. Um, but it, it started off really heavy when we first met. And then it tapered off a little bit. And then, you know, we got the reality show and then the babies started to come, um, you know, and every time we'd have a kid, you know, we'd have to sneak Tori out to the hospital. Um, this one and we did it on the show. We dressed up her, Tori's friend in a blonde wig. And I I uh, I, I was a bait and switch. So I, I drove down. It's funny. I drove down to. uh we had six paparazzi on our tail, and I drove down to the Ivy, where they all hang out. So, and then we had our camera crew. So I jump out of the car, and there were like thirty paparazzi by this point waiting for Tori to get out of the car. So I took my time getting her out of the car. I opened the door, and the flashes are going off. Everybody's going crazy. Tori, Tori, over here, because they see the blonde hair. And then I get her out of the sidewalk, and her friend, her friend, rips off the blonde wig. <laughs> it's their friend Suzanne, the redhead, while Tori was on the way in another car to Cedars. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Just the idea that you have to go, as if having a baby isn't already stressful right, enough. Right. We got then plan. you're having to do a, a gigantic plan to uh, make sure people aren't following you. Like, that's, they that's were insane. so mad. They were so pissed off because, you know, it was a good 20 miles I, I took them from our house to the, the Ivy. And, you know, we had we had this six, seven tails on us and then all all the paparazzi from the Ivy. And they were like, you motherfucker, you fuck, man. This ain't funny. That's <laughs> off. It was great. Oh, and then you missed the childbirths. And then, yeah, yeah. Missed <laughs> but, you know, that's why we had, you know, we had a five. That's why you had a couple more. It's all good. More. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, OK, this is scene one. You've seen them all. Well, you know, let's go back to when you and Tori met. Like, how did you, you know? Obviously, you were, there was a lot of stuff going on. That transition to like, wh what made you guys take it to the next level? Because it's a very difficult decision. I mean, you're both working at the time. You know, at what point did you guys say, you know what, the, what we have is something special? At what point did you know, like, what I have with her, my relationship with her, we want to take it one step further? From dating to marriage, or or just, just going, going to dating? To dating? Um, you know, we, we fell instantly in love in Ottawa. Like the day we met, we were together from that day we met, um, until we got married. Um, it just, uh, we, we couldn't, we couldn't get married fast enough. Like as soon as our divorces went through, um, we got married right away. Uh, it's crazy. It was crazy. You just, you just know it was so intense um, that it's, you just, you, you couldn't, either one of us couldn't walk away from it. It was like, this is something really special and incredible. And, and you know, this has to continue. There's no way that this could stop. It was just that intense and that visceral. Um, and then we got married and then the kid machine started. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we, we have awesome kids. We love kids. And, uh, you know, it's just, we, we, and we still have, which was, it came across in the show is, is we had this great love for each other and we started a family and we were celebrities, but we were normal, you know, that that's what people really, really loved about us is like, yeah, they, they may live in, in, in Hollywood and, and have this great life of going to events and awards and all that stuff, but they're, they're normal. They're just like, you know, we fight over, you know, not getting milk for the baby or, you know, for getting groceries and stuff like that. Like we, you know, we put our pants on one leg at a time, just like everybody else. So we kind of became the couple that everybody wanted to be, you know, we kind of became Mr. and Mrs. America kind of thing. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's inspiring because it's you knew the difference that it wasn't just lust, it was love, 
And I think that's a really hard thing. You know, especially you're on a, on a you meet on I think you're working at the time on a on a set and there you know the lights are on everything's going on so there's a lot going through your head but it was past the emotional part past the lust part it's like no we were actually fell in love instantly and then it's like you guys went through it, again you guys went through a lot right at the beginning you know the light, like you said the media was all up on it what's going on with this relationship and you guys are still there today which says a lot about you two individually and as a as a as a couple. So it's pretty yeah, interesting. So thank you. Thank you for noting that. Because, yeah, you know, if I look, I haven't thought about it in years, but if you look back on it, I think uh, that might have torn a relationship apart, you know, um, being thrust into the spotlight and everybody, you know, on your tip, you know, making comments about you and and, and voicing their opinions. You're like, wow, you know, it, it put a lot of stress on the relationship. But we we just we got through that. You know, we fought through that and we went through that and then we did our show and which really exposed ourselves the uh, touring Dean home sweet Hollywood, which really sort of exposed our relationship, the good part of it. Um, and then, you know, of course what happened, uh, seven years ago now, um, with the, the affair, you know, that was really, that was everywhere. That was huge. And, uh, again, that could have torn us apart, but it only made us stronger. And, you know, here we here we still are like inseparable, like it's forever, you know, do you, do you feel that I, I've seen quite a few like reality show couples? Obviously, they broke up like Nick and Jessica. I mean, we could go down a laundry list. Do you feel that having cameras in your house can doom a relationship? Obviously, you guys have made it through. So it's not necessarily about you, but I'm assuming there's. Not a lot of people can understand what it's like to be on a reality show inside your home with cameras on. Is it really stressful on a relationship? I I think it's stressful on a relationship if the relationship isn't solid, you know, um, because having cameras in your house is just, you know, one challenge in your relationship. You know, um, another challenge could be, you know, somebody's loses their job or falls ill. Like, and if, if you can't make it through that as a couple, then, you know, you can't make it through having cameras in your house. Like it, the relationship just wasn't solid to begin with, in my opinion. Um, I just think like the judgment factor, because everyone then feels like, oh, we know them. We know them because we watch them on TV. We know them. So we have the right to judge them sure. and judge the way they act to each other. And then then you start reading about yourself in the, in the news. and You're like, oh, my God, are 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 we doing things wrong? Are we doing things right? I don't know. That's I just have to imagine that's what it's like. I I can imagine that. Yeah, it, that might influence you, but it never influenced us because, again, you know, I'll go back to it. If your relationship isn't solid like ours is, then you're not going to survive cameras in your house, or you're not going to survive an illness, or or losing a job. You know, you just you're just not going to make it. You know, the relationship has to be there. Well, you guys are very honest about the ups and downs in your relationship. Was that a you know, you guys probably had to talk personally and say, hey, listen, we're going to be very honest. Do you, do you, does it feel relief? Do you feel a lot of relief to be so honest with your story, with your relationship, with your life uh, to the public? Yeah, yes and no. You know, um, Home Sweet Hollywood was a really sweet show. Um, you know, it, 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 it gave a glimpse into our life as a couple um, as, you know, husband and wife, fathers and mother. Um, and, and it was, it was, it was a light side to us. True Tory, on the other hand, that, that was, that was a mistake. That was, you know, um, I, I regret doing that. Um, because that was, that was too personal and too, too raw. Cause you know, we went into home sweet Hollywood the same way we went into True Tory was that, you know, like, we're going to do this for real. This isn't going to be produced stuff. This is going to be us. And that's why I think it really rang true to people. Like, they, you know, the audience was starting to get a little savvy with reality TV and kind of figure out what's produced and what's not. And they could see that ours wasn't produced. It was real. And then we did True Tory. And I don't think they were ready for that kind of real, you know, um, working out your marital problems you know, in the town square. I just don't think that was was a wise choice. I just think people weren't ready for it. Um and it and it definitely talk about people stepping up and, you know, offering their opine 
on your life and who you are. Um, that really opened up a huge can of worms. Um, people just went off, especially on me. Um, and I mean, and rightfully so, you know, I was, I was the bad guy in the, in the whole scenario, but, um, I wouldn't have done, I wouldn't have done that if, if you know, if I could turn back time. So I have a question for you. I've been thinking about this literally for the last couple of months. I wanted to talk to you. I have been a huge fan of the 90210 reboot. I loved it. I think what they did with it was unbelievable. It was amazing. It was something that was creative and new. And I applauded them for, you know, intertwining real life and fiction and not knowing where the lines blurred and where what was true and what was not. I just thought it was really a smart way to do a show. How did you feel that your portrayal was on that show? Because I was like, ah, oh, damn, <laughs> Dean's getting a raw end of this. But at the same note, it's where's the fiction? Where's the truth? You don't know with that show. So I was curious what you thought of it. Well, thank you for saying all those great things about the show. And it, it, it was amazing. It was so well done. And, um, you know, it's funny. It threw a lot of people off. They couldn't figure out, is this a reality show? Is this a scripted show? Is this real? What's And it's like, just, just go with it. <laughs> Don't overthink it. Just go with it. My portrayal, you know, I was, I was privy to, to my portrayal and, uh, you know, I was fine with it. Obviously there were some things that rang true in it. Um, and some things were, you know, pushed a little bit for dramatic effect. And, uh, you know, I think it was great that Ivan Sergei played me and he was, he was a nervous wreck. He was just like, um, every day to Tori, he's like, is Dean going to be okay with that? If I, you know, me saying this, like, I don't want, Dean's a really good guy. I don't want to, I don't want to upset him. Um, and, uh, you know, cause he was really, he, he knew, you know, obviously what had, what had gone on and what is being portrayed. And he was like, I, I really don't want him to come across as an asshole. And I think he, I think he did that dance very nicely, but, uh, you know, I was fine with it because, you know, so much has been out there about me good bad and indifferent that why not just have creative license and and do whatever you want to do and let's keep everybody guessing so you know just just go with it and uh it was i hope i hope it finds another home i i really hope it finds another home it'd be great how can it how can it it was so so unique it was so so good i don't know it was so good but just just getting everybody together like that was no small feat like yeah. got everybody together. Like, why not just run with this? And and I'll tell you what, the acting on the show was phenomenal. I thought the acting was so good. I and, and I'm not and I'm not saying this, Dean, because you're on the podcast. But I thought Tori was excellent. I thought she was excellent on the show. She. We've actually talked about it before. She, uh, with you not around, how good she was <laughs> on that show. She was. She was awesome. And you know what? That that's a, a lot of the feedback has been like this is Tori's best work. Um, I think she killed it. Um, I think everybody killed it. Um, especially, uh, Gabrielle, she playing a lesbian. She blew me away. She blew me away. She was, ah, she was so good. Everybody was so good. I hope it finds another home. It has to. I mean, it was so successful over the summer. I got to imagine someone else is going to go, this needs to land somewhere. I mean, even if it becomes a Netflix show, whatever, it clearly had an audience that had people interested. And I think, you know, I was telling Adam before, I think the reason that I was so impressed with Tori's acting is because in my mind, she had become like a reality star. So I, in my mind, I have pictured her in normal day situations and I had forgotten her as an actress. And then she came on there and I was like, oh, damn, she just killed it. Yeah. And I think that it, it's it's just a funny thing that you start to look at someone as a reality star and you and no, she's she's got yeah. serious acting talent. Her uh, her comedic chops are so good you guys should go and watch uh so notorious mm-hmm. and um uh mystery girls with her and Benny. Okay. she's so funny she's so funny did you did you go to the set at all while they were filming the show oh yeah i was up in vancouver for about a month and a half with all five kids in a two-bedroom apartment oh my god yeah. So you deserve an Emmy just yeah. for uh, dealing with five kids in a two-bedroom apartment for a month and a half. It was insane, man. It was insane. We had we had two. We had Stella and Hattie in one queen-size bed. We had Liam and Finn on the pull-out couch in the living room, and then Tori and I in the master with the baby 
in the playpen. Oh my god! <laughs> it was just, it was intense. But it was, what was it like being around all those people and watching that friendship kind of come back together after so many years? Oh, it's so cool to see. It's really so cool to see because they just kind of pick up where they left off. There's no awkward, you know, small talk, and it just boom right into where they were all those years ago. It was really cool. And now, if if you had to pick one castmate of hers to be your best friend, who would you choose? To be my best friend. Yep, you gotta, you got. If you want to just hang out with one of them one on one, out of the all the cast, who would you pick? Jenny. Yeah. Jenny, she cracks me up. She's very funny. She has this really dry sense of humor. Very, very cutting. <laughs> very kind of. She she can kind of come across as a little standoffish, but it's all in good humor. She's really really funny, and her and very Tori, open on the show. Her and Tori together crack me up because Tori's just like Rah! this crazy. You know, <laughs> she's the crazy one, and Jenny's the Jenny's the straight guy. I love it. Let me ask you this: as you know, you're an actor. You've done some a lot of work. You know, you got some. You got some stuff in the kitchen cooking, possibly. We're crossing fingers for you, my friend. But when you start with, you know, when, you know, you're as an actor, then you start to get noticed from reality TV. Is part of you like, man, I want people to know that I'm an actually an actor. That's what I set out to be. And is it hard to make that transition back to acting? Like, for you in your head, are you in your head like, man, are, am I going to be able to get back in? Are people going to tr- think of me as an actor again, or are you screwed? Yeah, um, that's that's exactly where I'm at right now. Um, you know. Uh, when I came to LA, I had 20 years, 28 years under my belt as an actor. And I did four and a half, five years of reality TV. And that's all people know me as the reality guy. Um, and I'm always telling people is like, go look at my IMDb, look at my demo reel. Like I, I'm not a reality guy. I'm beyond that. I came to this as an actor and then, you know, did some reality. And now that's all I'm known for. So it's it's hard getting getting back to uh, to acting, especially because our show was so big. It's 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 not like you know two people that you know on The Bachelor. Like I, it's Tori Spelling and Dean McDermott. Like that was a big reality. And I was gonna say you you made yourself a reality star because it was so successful. So people that didn't know your career before just go, oh, Dean, Dean and Tori. Yeah, you know, yeah. So it's 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 hard to it's hard to go back. It's hard, but uh, I'm I'm kicking and clawing because it's you know it's what I do going on thirty three years now. Well, and the other big thing that you've been doing is this podcasting. You guys have been killing it. You've got the Daddy, Daddy Issues podcast with Nikki Paris and, and Adam Hunter, two funny comedians. Adam Hunter, great guys. Um, we have How a did lot. You of... Meet them, by the way. Mm-hmm. How did you end up meeting them and uh, starting this podcast? Well, Adam Adam does a comedy night every Tuesday at the Dime. Um, that little dive bar on uh, Fairfax, and uh, I've done it. It's a cool spot. Have you done? Have you done the I've dive? Done it, yeah. yeah, it's a cool spot. It's uh, you know, you never know what it's going to be like, but yet again, you know, it's a di- it is. It's a it's a divey ish type bar on a random weekday night. However, huge names show up to test out their material all the time, so that's a really cool part. And Adam is just a total workhorse when it comes to comedy. Adam's awesome. So uh, I got wind through. Uh, do you know Jason Rouse? I do. Filthy comedian. I love him. He's a, <laughs> he's a buddy from, uh, from uh, Ontario, from Hamilton. And uh, I got word that uh, Russell Peters was going to do a spot at the Dime. And I'm like, I know Russell from Toronto. I haven't seen him in years, so let's go. So go down and see Russell, and I, I meet Adam. So Adam, Russell, and I, we go for something to eat afterwards. We go to Cantor's Deli, and we just Adam and I hit it off because he's part Canadian. His mom was from Windsor or something. So we hit it off, and uh, I tell him that you know I, I love comedy, and I tell him the story of how I got hooked on comedy. Um, when I was nine, my dad brought home an eight-track cassette uh, of Gene Tracy, and Gene Tracy was an old truck stop comedian. He toured the South and all the truck stops. So back in the early '70s, the truck stops like you could get murdered. So he's he's going and he's doing these comedy shows, and he was filthy. I learned about every sexual position and, and every sexual disease you could possibly imagine. Like he was a filthy, filthy comedian. And I just fell in love with this guy instantly. And uh, so we'd have listening parties, you know, we'd have people over and we'd pop in the A-track and listen to Gene Tracy. Um, 
So there was at nine, I, I got hooked on comedy. I, I fell in love with Red Fox. Um, I discovered Bob Newhart and then Richard Pryor and then Robin Williams. I was like, wow, this is, this is what I want to do. So cut to, I'm 19 and, and I want to get into the business. Um, and I really want to be a stand-up, but I don't know my ass from my elbow. Don't know how to write a joke. Don't have any perspective or point of view. So I go into acting because it's easier to play somebody else than, you know, yeah. do stand-up. Because you're, you're, you know, these are your inner thoughts as a stand-up. So here I am at, you know, 52. I meet Adam. I tell him the story. And he's like, well, you got to go up. I'm like, no, nah, I'm 52. I can't. There's no way. I'm too old. He's like, you're never too old. He said, "You got an open. You got a spot anytime you want. Any Tuesday, you can do a spot." So he called me and texted me, "You going up this week? You going up this week for three months?" Until I finally said, "Okay, fine, I'm going up." So I wrote five minutes and I went up, and it's been a year now. I've been at it, and it went well. The first time went well. well it went great. It went great. Wow. I knock on wood. I haven't bombed yet. <laughs> that's awesome dude see never give up on your dreams people so i just thought you know hey this is a this is another great in too because if you know we we record our uh our podcast at the comedy store so you know we go in there and i look at all the photos and i just go i look at these comedians right and go sitcom 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 like so many comedians coming out of the improv and the comedy store you know, they get spotted and they get a show developed around them. So I'm like, okay, there might be something to this. You know, this might be an avenue for me to finally, you know, get something big going. So I I, like how you say finally something big, like you've had a very successful career, sir. Don't forget that. (laughs) I have, I have, I I have, but I would, I would like to get a series that lasts longer than three years. (laughs) I haven't, I haven't got that CSI 10 year gig yet, you know? Oh God, I know. Serious CSI money. Can you imagine? Jeez. By the way, I wanted to ask you because I am such a big architecture fan. Did you ever get to go in the spelling manner? I, I was there probably five times. Wow. wow. I would love to have gone in there. It just seemed like any spot in L.A. I love houses. I've driven up and down those streets. I'm just curious what it was like. Was it cool inside? It was. I wouldn't say cool. It was overwhelming. It was I mean, just huge. 64,000 square feet. Um, Like ceilings like you couldn't believe like it's it's almost like a mausoleum like some parts of it felt it was just larger than life you couldn't wrap your head around it. it's like okay this is the living room holy shit like so was that weird coming from canada and then walking into this monstrosity being like oh literally the biggest house in la and you're walking around in it yeah i couldn't believe it it was it's it's otherworldly and i've only seen like a 16th of it we, and it's funny, like when, whenever we'd go there, we would always just end up sitting in the office. Yeah, which is really weird. <laughs> I think we had we had dinner there once, um, with this huge, beautiful dining room, and then I was to one Christmas party, which was out of this world. Like trains going through the dessert table, and like real toy soldiers, like. 30 of them down the steps in the entrance, like just unbelievable, like a huge, like 60 foot Christmas tree. Like it was really unbelievable. Did you happen to see what Petra Ecclestone, how she redesigned it when she bought it? I saw some photos and she went modern with it. She went very modern, yeah. like black marble yeah. and like white tile everywhere. Just curious how much, how different that would have been. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if Candy saw it afterwards. But they were. Uh, in, I, I just love houses. I love thing, it. The, the screening room, it was crazy that the screen came down. It was like this bigger than some of the Cineplex um, screens that you see in those multiplexes. Um, and he had these two huge old fashioned projectors that ran film where yeah. you know, they'd screen movies. And Petra was changing everything over to digital. And I was like, oh my God, what is she going to do with these projectors? <laughs> And I, I, to this day, I don't know what she did with them because, like, how great would that be if they were, like, on display at the, the writer's I'm sure or SAG after? I was like, this is Mr. Spelling, right? you know. And I bet they ended up in a trash bin outside the, the place. I really hope they didn't. I really hope they didn't, you know. Um, it's, it'd just be crazy. 
I'm very jealous you got to go into that house. It's like, I don't know. I, I've always looked at that house. I've driven around. I'm like, it's so cool. It is the coolest house in LA. Like, what what a amazing pad they had. So, anyway, I just had to ask you that. Do you ever feel, feel like uncomfortable being around, being around like a party, a party like, like that, that, a house like that, or even like people who have that kind of wealth like that? Does that ever? Always, always. I still do. Um, cause I, I, I grew up poor. I grew up in, uh, the projects in Canada and in, in government housing. So I've always felt uncomfortable with people that had more than myself. Um, and even, you know, I was very successful in, in Canada, in Toronto, and I had a you know beautiful big house in Yorkville, which is like really high end, uh, neighborhood in Toronto. I still felt uncomfortable with people who had money. Um, and I don't know if I'll ever shake that. It's just, I guess, yeah, I, I, I don't. I could see that. I could see was that. that it's, not an, was that not a nerve-wracking thing for you meeting Tori? Just that. I mean, she's been a famous her entire life. I, I got to imagine that was kind of a nerve-wracking thing for you. You know what? It, it wasn't because you know I never I never paid attention to you know the the gossip magazines or the news. I mean, I I knew. I knew Aaron Spelling was was a big producer, but I didn't know how big. Like I wasn't I wasn't aware of the manor until I met Tori. Like I didn't know it existed. I didn't know anything about it. Um, and I I knew Tori from nine hundred two one zero, so I knew her as 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 Donna because I would watch the show because I had a crush on her, and I'd show up late to my hockey games because I was watching nine hundred two one zero, and. Uh, so I just kind of knew her as, as Donna. And when we got together, she said, just so you know, you know, I'm not, I'm not rich. I went, what are you talking about? She said, well, you know, my father's Aaron Spelling and he's this, you know, TV mogul and, you know, and then we have this huge mansion and he has a ton of money. And I went, I had no idea. I just, you know, I just knew he produced stuff. I didn't know his net worth, what he owned. Yeah. I didn't know you know, her net worth or anything like that, which people are like, Oh yeah, right. You married her cause, cause of the money. I'm like, honestly, I had no idea. I just saw Donna Martin in front of me, this girl I had a crush on forever. And, uh, and you know, Dude, not a lot of people get to, to marry their, uh, no. their, their crush. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. When, I, when I think about it, I'm just like, here's this dude from Canada moves to LA goes back to Canada to do a movie and falls in love with Tori Spelling, his crush. Like, it's crazy, right? It's That's absolutely awesome. crazy. I love it. What a great story. By the way, random question for you, because I know uh, our time's kind of dwindling on here and we're, we need to wrap this up so we can get you on. But I just went on your Instagram. Do you know Millie Bobby Brown follows you on Instagram? We met Millie years ago. Uh, I was like, what? Why is Melly following you? That's, I was going to ask you, what's the story behind this? We, she's such a sweet kid. Oh my God. Her family, her sisters, her little sister's amazing. Her mom and dad are incredible. We met her um, just as she finished the first season of Stranger Things. And we went to this, um, like this Comic-Con signing thing. And the, the kids knew her before we did. We took all the kids with us. So Liam and Stella were like, oh my God, that's a girl from Stranger Things. Um, and we're like, okay, yeah, cool. I, I didn't know the show. Tori didn't know the show. Um, and, you know, we encourage our kids to go over and, you know, if, if you're a fan of someone, like, go and talk to them. So we took them over and introduced them. And we ended up hitting it off. And we all went to dinner that night. And um, we hung out. And we stay in touch. And she's just an amazing kid, like, well beyond her years, like, in such a talent. But down to earth and so sweet. That is so pretty, like, awesome. I, I, I got to imagine that. So like your kids are like, oh, my God, it's her. And then they're eating dinner with her that night. Yeah. That's got to be the coolest thing about having celebrity parents. Yeah, that's that's what's really cool. I see my kids just, you know, be able like first un, unable to approach them because they're so shy and overwhelmed. And to see how down to earth and gracious she is that, you know, they just leveled out like that. They're on the same level. She brought herself down, you know, to to my kids levels and just embrace them. And, you know, they're, they're running, doing cartwheels and stuff and flips in the lawn after we'd all eaten. And I was like, oh, this is, this is something my kids are going to remember forever. 
cool. 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 You're, You're the, the cool dad. dad. Millie Bobby Brown. How funny is that? Well, that's a good little story. Thank you for that tidbit. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, no troubles. No troubles. <laughs> well, I want to wrap this up. Uh, thank you for taking the time, spending this with us. My and pleasure. if uh, pleasure, guys. obviously uh, we encourage people go listen to Daddy Issues. You can find it wherever podcasts stream. And uh, it, I, it's a cool concept. So you guys. Well, two of you are dad. Oh, no, yeah. you're the only dad, right? Two, but then... Adam has a one and a half year old, and okay. and Nikki's gay. So uh, I'm a dad of six. Adam's a new dad, and Nikki needs a dad. That's, her, <laughs> that's a dad or a daddy. Well, we started off as a dad. Nikki needs a daddy. And he's like, um, that might sound like I'm a little desperate. <laughs> I'm looking for a sugar daddy. Like, okay, but he does. He still like he'll call his dad when there's a spider in his apartment. He's like, Dad, what do I do? He's like, kill it. What the fuck? <laughs> I love it. And uh, people can find you on Instagram at I'm Dean McDermott. And uh, so thanks again, buddy. Really sure. do appreciate it. Great it. talking to you guys. That was fun. Dude, that was awesome. He was, he really was good. great, man. I what I, just a you got to respect the guy who's so honest about everything in his career, in his life, in his in his in his in his work life, in his personal life with Tori. I mean, because he's had an insane Hollywood career from being an actor to dating the girl who he had a crush on to marrying her to being in Aaron Spelling's house. Pretty cool. I love it. I got to say, the constant theme I feel like with our podcast is it goes back to like our best podcasts have always been the people that are like just the most honest and open and real. And that doesn't mean they're the biggest name in Hollywood, but they're the most like authentic people in Hollywood. And I love it. Like Dean, I like that, that podcast. It was good. I do. It, and it's, again, I'm a, f- we're, we are both huge fans of Hollywood and I'm always just so curious. What's it like? And I feel like that's what a lot of people are curious about. What's it like? And this, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't care about the character you're playing on TV. Tell me what, how you came to be that character. Tell me how you dealt with the media, how it, how you deal with the attention, how you deal with the fame, how you how you took it to your advantage and made money off it with reality TV. And if it was a good thing or a bad thing. And that's what Dean, I got his respect. He said, one show was great. The other one was not a good idea. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that he, you know, he, dude, who acknowledges that they, they're like, they're cheating scandal. You know what I'm saying? Like, that was something that he didn't have to bring up. He didn't have to say, yeah, we all have heard the stories and everything, but not many people acknowledge it. And he goes, yeah, that was a shitty time in my life. Yep, we made it through. Like, mad respect for that. I don't know. I just I didn't I, I expect agree. for him to bring that up. Yeah, I'm very cool. Um, and I, listen, he brought that up. We didn't. And I'm not going to push him on it. I'm not, I'm not going to be like, hey, how was, you know, it's not worth pushing him on it. He knows it was a mistake. And he's growing as a person. He's continually, continually, continuously growing as a person. Um, and he's also, you know, he's trying to make it. He's still set out to Hollywood to be an actor. And, you know, life has different paths. And then he kind of fell in love with another woman after his relationship with his first wife. And that woman had to be Tori Spelling, the princess of Hollywood. And then they've had an interesting ups and downs. But he's somehow... Dude, and he's gotten... He's gotten such a raw deal through the years. Like the amount of people just talking shit. When we when we were at TMZ, there was so much shit talking of Dean, and it was like, and this was before cheating. This like, it was just, it was like people didn't like that. Number one, they were both married when they you know found each other. Then they then everyone like he said was saying that he's just like a gold digger. Like he got such a raw deal through the whole thing. And wow, what a nice guy he really. Is. You know what? If you listen to this podcast, I'm really interested because. I, I didn't. I, I never thought he was a bad guy. I never had that intention. Never went into this like, oh man, this guy is a bad guy, and I need him to switch me. I first of all, he's doing a podcast with two very very funny comedians who I know, Nikki Paris and Adam Hunter. And then when he speaks, it's you have to admire someone who's so like again authentic and honest, but also breaks down Hollywood for someone for people like us who are fans of Hollywood to make it understandable and understand the stuff that goes with it. I don't know. I thought that was a really, really interesting interview. And he seems like he's a good dude, man. I, I, I'm i really rooting for him. He's a good guy. And he told us off air all these gigs that he's got going. So we are crossing our fingers. He lands all of them. And uh, 
and gets that that acting career going that he wants because like you said he's a you know he's become a reality star for a lot of people so hoping uh, hoping it all works out for him we'll do man dax thank you so much you can find me at at adam glenn on all social platforms you can find dax at, at dax holt dax take it from here that's it <laughs> later guys